Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. Sucker tonight. Tune in as Jason Longshore gives you insight and analysis on the beautiful game, including headlines from around the world of soccer. Rebound This is Atlanta Soccer Tonight, brought to you by Moe's Southwest Grill. Welcome to Moe's. Atlanta Soccer Tonight is on Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. Here's Jason Longshore. Let's kick it. Atlanta soccer tonight, live on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. A little bit earlier this evening. This will be the new time slot going forward. And go ahead and pencil it in. When Monday night football starts, AST will be moving to Tuesday nights at 10 o'clock. I'm Jason Longshore. I've got all your soccer updates, news, rumors, innuendo, all of that stuff. That's what we do on AST each and every week, and there's a lot going on right now. Um, I don't know about you guys, but these early morning games from the Women's World Cup have definitely thrown my sleep patterns off. Uh, The U.S., if they had won their group, they would have played at 10 p.m. on Saturday night. Would have been perfect. Would have been a huge TV audience. The time slot was actually created for the U.S., and they did not win their group. So they played at 5 a.m. on Sunday morning, and they did not win that match either. They are out of the Women's World Cup on penalties. I'm sure you've heard about it by now. Talked about it this afternoon with Dukes and Bell. Talked about it yesterday multiple times on the station. Going to talk about it a little bit more in our second segment with our good friend Jessica Charman. Got to catch up with her earlier today to get her take on that match. Also, her take on her Lionesses, the English women's national team, who barely, and I mean barely, scraped by in the round of 16. Nigeria, in some ways, outplayed England, but lost in penalties in that match. It's been the story of the World Cup. Jess and I will break everything down in segment number two of the show. Segment number three, you guys know by now, it's the 3-4-3. We'll get into all of that as we go, but let's kind of get caught up on lots of odds and ends right here in the first segment. The Atlanta United side of things. We've seen some additions to this roster. We've seen a mutual termination We've seen rumors about a closed-door friendly uh, this weekend so the team can keep sharp. And all that is because the League's Cup is continuing on. The knockout rounds are going on right now. I don't know if you had a chance to see Inter-Miami and Dallas last night, but that was ridiculous. Lionel Messi is scoring goals on everybody, um, not just Atlanta United, everybody in this tournament. And they just keep getting more and more ridiculous as we go. Uh, but with League's Cup continuing and Atlanta United eliminated and their next league opponent, Seattle Sounders, eliminated as well, it's a little bit of 
a break, but you don't want it to be too much of a break, but you also want to take advantage of that break and give these players a chance to recharge and get the new additions into the mix. And hopefully with uh, visas being processed, that'll be a quick process. Uh, Jamal Tiari, Shandi Silva, Saba Lobjanitsa, Tristan Muyamba, who you had a chance to see against Cruz Azul. That's the four additions during this summer transfer window that is now closed. We've talked about this a good bit over the past week. I really like the signing of Lobjanitsa, a player that Carlos Bocanegra talked about as a deal that looked like it was going to get done early in the window. Then it looked like it was off, and then it came back around, and they get it done kind of late in the window and add him, the Republic of Georgia national team player, a very tricky winger who can play on either side. Yes, he is a designated player, but I think it's been made pretty clear, and we've seen this before, Alan Franco, Marcelino Moreno both fit into this category, a designated player that can be bought down with allocation money to add someone else in that designated player role when that time comes, when the right player becomes available. And with Tiago Almada's you know, I don't even know if rumored departure at this point is a fair way to say it because there really haven't been any rumors about him going this summer. And I think, as I've said all along, I feel like the later this goes, the more likely it is that he sticks around for the rest of the season. And then we find out what happens in the January window. But with Almada expected at some point in the near future to be off to Europe and off to a major club, you want to have some flexibility, and when you can add a player of Lobjanidze's quality and still maintain that flexibility, I like the deal, and I like the potential of it. The, the question is, and it's always the same for any midseason signing, just how long does it take for these players coming in to build chemistry with the existing group? I think one thing, and Gonzalo Pineda was very clear about this when he spoke to the media, and I think it's an important factor here with Lobjanidze as a winger, with Sean De Silva as a winger. You're adding two players into a position group that already has a good bit of competition, but it also allows Brooks Lennon and Caleb Wiley to move back to the back line, and it kind of clarifies things for them the rest of the way this season. It's good to have versatility. It's good to have flexibility in the squad and in the, the lineup. But it's also, at this point in the year, good to have some stability. And Lennon and Wiley playing at the fullback position, or wingback if you want to play three center backs, which is also a very strong possibility at times. I think that makes more sense for this group right now. I thought Caleb Wiley did a good job on Uriel Antuna in the match against Cruz Azul. Wiley's long-term future for me is as a left back. Uh, his trajectory has been a lot like Alfonso Davies in terms of a young player getting on the field maybe first in a less defensively demanding role as he learns the art of 1v1 defending. Uh, Brooks Lennon is a player who started as a winger, is converted into a fullback in his career, can still play on the wing. I think he's better making those runs from deeper positions getting into the attacking third rather than playing higher up the field. So... With Lobjanidze, you would think being a starter. With Tristan Muyamba, you would think being a starter after what we saw against Cruz Azul. And, and it was a great debut. I think you have to be careful about expecting, you know, 10 out of 10 games every single time from a player. I thought that was really close to a 10 out of 10 from Tristan in, in that first match. 
But you'd expect him to be a starter. You'd expect Saba to be a starter. That's two new starters. Who's going to be on the other wing? Is it going to be Tyler Wolf? Is it going to be Machoke Chol if he gets back from a high ankle sprain? Is it going to be Derek Etienne? Is it going to be Sean De Silva? Not sure. And that can be good. The competition's always a good thing. But there's only 10 games left, and you want a consistent group this time of year. But do keep in mind, there are a good number of midweek games left in that 10, and having the ability, because of potential fatigue, to have players to rotate in and to have impact substitutions available off the bench, something that I think Gonzalo Pineda really lacked last season and has lacked at times this season. I think these things are good once you settle on the group. I just don't know when that settling is going to occur and that's the part that you just cross your fingers on and you hope it is sooner rather than later now the mutual termination of eric lopez's contract that came out late last week and i know there's been some questions about the timing of it and we don't really know and we probably won't know until there is really a signing of eric lopez to another club uh in a perfect world, you would have been able to do this at a time to where you could have kept Franco Ibarra. Now, with that said, Tristan Muyamba more than likely would have come in and taken the minutes that Franco Ibarra was playing. I think that's a, a safe assumption. Could they have played together? Yeah, potentially. I don't know if they necessarily complement one another in the way that you want. I don't know if they fit together the way that you want. I think on paper, Santiago Sosa would be a better fit as a partner for Tristan Muyamba, but he's got to get back to his best. Mateo Sosetsu could be that fit. Uh, Amar Sadich could be that fit. Jay Fortune could honestly be that fit. I think they complement each other very well. So I'm intrigued to see who that's going to be with Muyamba, but Ibarra could have stayed if the Lopez deal would have happened sooner, but I don't know if he would have played and maybe in the long-term development for him and potentially as an asset for Atlanta United, it's better for him to play than to not play at this stage in his career. So anyway, you would have loved to have kept Ibarra. I, I hate the way that things went down for him. Unfortunately, that's the life of an athlete. So with Lopez's mutual termination, you are able to add Franco Ibarra back to the team at the end of the season, and he can come back and you have your three U22 initiative players. Now, there is the potential for roster rules being changed going into next season, and there are rumors about it's MLS. There's rumors every day of the year, right? In this case, there was a Board of Governors meeting around the All-Star game. There have been plenty of conversations before and during the whole process of bringing Lionel Messi to Major League Soccer about increasing spending. It's been an ongoing conversation, and Garth Lagerwey has been very vocal about this, in making the roster rules and regulations more transparent. One roster rule that I am just not a fan of is the alternating situation with U22s and designated players. And this is where I think the league makes things more complicated than it needs to. I like the idea of the U22 initiative, which is you can essentially sign a U22 player for whatever you want. The transfer is not going to affect your salary cap designation for that player. Their salary is capped at the max 
that would have the max that you can buy down um, 1.6 million and some change. Just trying to explain it is complicated, and that's what's frustrating. If you want to create that roster designation, create the roster designation. Don't make it to where, well, you can have three if you have this kind of a designated player or you don't have another designated player, but if you have three older max designated players, then you can't have three U22s and you can only have one. Yeah, I give myself a headache when I try to explain this stuff. And sadly, we have to try to explain it because it is a big part of the conversation about how teams improve themselves. It's got to be more transparent. And there are rumors afoot that things will be different next year. There's rumors about increased designated players. There's rumors about an increased salary cap. Look, are they true or not? The, the sourcing of these are <laughs> its incredibly uh, hard to believe in on the sourcing. The idea? Yeah, it's believable. Um, Lionel Messi has more guys that he would like to bring to Inter-Miami. There's more guys who want to come to Miami to play with Lionel Messi. There's other clubs in the league that would like to spend more. Atlanta United has wanted to spend more over the years. Other clubs want to spend more money. They have more ways to spend more money. I think you're going to see clubs spend more money. That's not rocket science. Are there going to still be some that don't spend as much as the max? Yes, there will be. And that's okay, too. That's professional sports. That's life. That's business. That's all of those things. But I do think now's the time. And now is the time to make it simpler when it comes to U22s and designated players. So what things look like in the future for Atlanta United's roster, it's way too early to call. And it's way too hard to guess at right now. But I like what this window has done in terms of setting you up with what you know about the rules now. And if they expand further, you're in a great position to be able to add more pieces to this team. You got 10 more games to solidify your playoff position and to try to climb higher in the playoff picture. And one way you're going to prepare for that, according to Tom Timmerman of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, and this has been... Uh, corroborated by Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution earlier this afternoon. St. Louis City FC will come to Atlanta and play Atlanta United behind closed doors on Saturday. It's something. It's not a league match. It is not a match that means anything, so it cannot have the same intensity level that a regular season match would. But if you're going to play Cincinnati twice, if you're going to play Philadelphia once out of your 10 games left, that's, that's three you'd like to play a team that is a high-pressing, intense team. And maybe the most intensity you're going to get out of a game that's a behind-closed-door scrimmage is going to be a situation like this, playing St. Louis City. So according to reports, Atlanta United will play St. Louis behind closed doors on Saturday. It's the Seattle Sounders when league play returns, and they are in the same situation being eliminated from the League's Cup after two games. All kinds of other stuff to get into, and we will in the 3-4-3 three, uh, Tuca Ferretti was fired at Cruz Azul. That was something we talked about leading up to that match. First time he's been fired in his 30-plus year career. Columbus Crew, they sold Lucas Zellerion. They added Diego Rossi. Fans were upset they couldn't have both. There were rumors they wanted to keep both. The rules would not let them, and they literally would not let them according to the rules. And people are mad trying to compare it to Miami. It's not the same situation, but it's just an example of how this league needs to continue to grow, expand, make things easier for me to understand, for you to understand, and for all of us to follow and get when we get into these transfer windows and the silly seasons that come twice a year.
All right, coming up next in five minutes on Atlanta Soccer tonight, Jessica Charman. We break down everything from the U.S. women's national team match where they were eliminated from the World Cup. England's narrow advancement in penalties after a scoreless draw against Nigeria and a little bit more from the Women's World Cup. Coming up next in five on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. To more of Atlanta Soccer Tonight with Jason Longshore on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Welcome back to Atlanta Soccer Tonight, live on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. I told you guys we would be catching up with Jessica Charman to talk a little bit about the U.S. Women's National Team, a little bit about the Lionesses, and anything else that comes up from the Women's World Cup. Jess, how are you? Hanging in there. It's been a, a long day after uh, the English performance. Uh, and I think it's so funny that we had talked about it being close. We had talked about it being tight. I didn't imagine it being quite that tight or quite that nail-biting, Jason Longshore. Yeah, that was uh, a little unexpected. There's a lot of talking points coming out of that one because it didn't... Oh, I, let, me, let me put it this way. It kind of felt a little bit like U.S. and Sweden in the sense that it was... Pretty even. I think the U.S. actually controlled their game, maybe more than England did no, against I would say Nigeria. So. Yeah, you would say I, that? yeah, I would. I think that Nigeria had an amazing game plan. They're very technical. They're very smart. They're very organized. The work ethic is a hundred percent there with them. And kind of like how Sweden came in against the U.S., they believed they could win this game. And I think that's an amazing thing for the sport when you know, quote-unquote underdogs are coming into the game believing and showing that they can compete with no matter who steps in front of them. I thought that England didn't handle that pressure as well as maybe they should. I think that one of the things I've read is that the English mentality's had to switch now from being a team that maybe might could win it to the team that's 100% the favourite. Yep. And I'm wondering if some of those youngsters on the English team aren't quite handling being the favorite instead of just one of the contenders as well as they should be. It's a different mentality, and it is something that now is wide open in this tournament with the U.S. losing on penalties to Sweden. I want to come back to the U.S. Um, what did Nigeria do that gave England trouble? I think they pressed very well. They were able to be extremely physical in challenges, and they kind of just were very organized defensively. A lot of the time, the forwards of England are used to being able to bully their way through defensive lines to be physical, to see a lot of the ball. Nigeria stopped them doing that. They were also able to control Kira Walsh. And I think we were all very surprised to see Walsh play, for Walsh to play 120 minutes too after what we thought was going to be a, a World Cup ending injury. And they cut off her passing lanes. They didn't allow her to cut through traffic like she's used to doing. And they just made it very difficult. I think that we underestimated Nigeria coming into this one. And I say we as a collective, we English fans alike. And we shouldn't have because they were extremely smart and they belong at this level. And I feel, you know, bittersweet because honestly, I'm so excited as an English person that England has made 
made that step and the penalty shootout was the first penalty shootout winning a World Cup for the women's team, which is huge. But I feel bittersweet because Nigeria probably, for a lot of it, deserve to win the game and they'll feel hard done by that they weren't able to break down 10 men during extra time. Let's talk about the the 10 men and uh, Lauren James just lost her head and we've seen it happen we've seen frustration come out in these ways it's it's part of the game it's something young players have to manage um doesn't seem like it's something that has been typical with lauren james but it's gonna hurt england at least for one more game and we'll find out if there's any further suspension yeah i mean based on the fact that the referee announced it was a violent conduct call. I'm thinking it's not just going to be one game. I'm expecting her to potentially be out for the entire tournament, which would be an absolute spanner in the works for England. We know how good she is. We know how talented she is. She comes off one of the best performances in World Cup history with, uh, what, two goals and three assists and almost a hat-trick other than the one disallowed to this. And she joins a, a very famous but very disappointing group of English players that have lost their mind in big games. You look at David Beckham, you look at Wayne Rooney, they've all been very young, thrust into the limelight and not been able to handle it. Look, I, I don't think she's a malicious player at all, Yeah, yeah I don't. but either. it's a really poor decision. And honestly, in that moment, it demonstrated how Nigeria had executed their game plan perfectly because they hadn't allowed a player that is so used to being able to dominate an opportunity to do that. And I did like that Serena comes out and defends her player. That was yeah. very refreshing to hear as a manager saying, look, she doesn't want to hurt anybody. She's made a young, immature decision. And anyone that's read the background story on Lauren James knows that she's kind of, football's been her life. She's been thrust into the limelight from a very, very, very young age. And I think sometimes when players hit this stardom very early, maybe they don't handle the pressure they haven't had those life lessons as maybe well they should have. So not defending it. I, I'm really disappointed because you don't want to see that on a football pitch. It doesn't belong on a football pitch. It's a really stupid decision and you could have hurt a player, whether or not you had intentions of hurting or you were just kicking out of frustration. You could have really hurt someone. You stood on their back. It, it's disappointing to see, but hopefully she learns from it. And, and I'm sure that right now she's really suffering herself because she knows that she almost cost her team bar the grind set of being able to defend for the extra time and then come through on penalties, she could have really cost her team. And she still could cost her team, honestly, because the the England side without Lauren James isn't the same side that you feel as confident about making a deep run in the tournament. Yeah, it's not going to get any easier for England. They'll play the winner of Colombia and Jamaica, two teams that are both physical, two teams that can both frustrate, for sure. Um, two teams with an individual incredible talent on both sides with Linda Caicedo and Bunny Shaw. Uh, that's a fun round of 16 match tomorrow. France and Morocco is tomorrow as well. I think if there's anything that we've learned over these past couple of days slash very early mornings watching these games is that the old school idea of who's the favorite, who's the underdog, and and how we should approach maybe even deter not determining, but how we feel about the result. I think we've got to throw all that out the window after this tournament has shown so many surprises and so many strides from nations that we would have considered total underdogs four years ago. It's just incredible for the women's game. Look, obviously... As an American, as an English person, we want our sides to win. But as a lover of the female game, it, it's a victory no matter what right now because so many teams are stepping up and surprising us. So many teams are showing that 
maybe they're not getting the attention in the media. Maybe they don't get the coverage of their individual leagues or their development. Maybe they're not getting headlines written about them. But behind closed doors, behind the scenes, they're making moves on their women's game. They're investing. They're developing players. They have, you know, athletes that are incredible soccer players, high level of soccer IQ. And that's an amazing thing. And Millie Bright said it in the press conference afterwards that, look, the women's game is thriving right now. And this is going to be the hardest World Cup yet for whoever wins it. They're going to have to go through challenge after challenge after challenge in the days of thinking, okay, well, there's the USA and there's Japan or there's the USA and there's England. That's over. That is absolutely over. And, you know, we want to enjoy this World Cup right now. But in four years time, I I don't think you can make a bracket in four years time. Like, it's just wild to think about. Yeah, it's it's so much fun to see and so cool to watch all these countries and all these players that we get to know. And, and I feel like in previous tournaments, we would come into the women's tournament. And yeah, you're right. It, it would be the U.S. In the past, it was Norway. It was China. Um, you know, England last time, France, a couple teams that you would expect, a Brazil, a Germany to, to challenge. But it was always going to be the U.S. in that conversation. And it's not going to be for the first time past the round of 16 after this tournament. And I was literally typing out a tweet during the shootout about the save that I thought Alyssa Nair had made being the best save I had ever seen in a penalty shootout. As a goalkeeper, I, I can only imagine how you felt watching that. Yeah, it it hurt my heart because for her to make the initial contact on the ball to buy herself the time to be able to recover and come back and get the contact on it to do what looked like from every angle that she'd kept it out was really hard. And then when you see the snippet from Hawkeye and you see where the ball is, it's one thing if the ball had been blatantly over. You know, like if it had been significantly over, you might think, okay, well, you know, Right. But for it to be that close, yes, it's the correct call. And I'm not I'm not saying it's not 100% it's the correct call, but you hurt for the goalkeeper because she's made an insane effort. She's taken her own penalty. She's absolutely buried her mm-hmm. penalty. She can't do everything, unfortunately. And we've talked in penalty shootouts about goalkeepers needing to make one save on a penalty shootout or throw one forward enough with their mind games. She did her bit. And unfortunately, players that I think you would have bet your house on finishing their penalty didn't and I don't know about you Jason but I think what's more frustrating about those penalties is the fact that you've not even hit the target you you just got to force a save out the goalkeeper for three players obviously one struck the post close enough but for two players to absolutely blast it over and wide it, it, it makes it that much harder of a pill to swallow Atlanta soccer tonight, Jason Longshore along with Jessica Charman. We're trying to make sense of what's been going on at the Women's World Cup and talking about the U.S. being out of the tournament after the round of 16. Scoreless draw with Sweden, and the U.S. did not score after the corner against the Netherlands. They didn't score from the run of play after the first match against Vietnam. With all of the attacking talent for the U.S., I mean, what happened? Yeah, it, it goes back to our initial conversation, and it feels like so long ago, but we said, we asked, biggest question mark over, over the U.S. after Vietnam. We said, clinical finishing, being able to bury opportunities in big moments, and I think it goes back to that. And unfortunately, as we see in all levels of the game, for forwards when you miss two three big chances your confidence is at an all-time low and you every time you get another opportunity 
the longer it goes without scoring, your head kind of drops and you become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh no, here we go again. I'm going to miss this one again. And honestly, when it went to penalties, I was disappointed players missed the target, but I wasn't surprised because the common theme in the World Cup had been not being able to have the mental strength or the body shape or the timing to finish chances. It hurts. I I do think you have to look at the Swedish goalkeeper who's had the the best performance in Women's World Cup history, 11 saves. I believe that was a World Cup record it came out with as well. She was absolutely brilliant. But you look back to the caliber of chances, I think there's one or two where you should have got there ahead of the goalkeeper and you should have made it unsavable for her. Zacher Musevic was just outstanding in this match. 11 saves. I mean, that, that says all you need to say. And that's, I think, what's so difficult about this from a, a perspective of trying to figure out what's next is there's a lot of talent in this team. They have had good results, maybe not as good as in the past, but good results coming into the tournament. And you expected a deeper run. That doesn't always happen. We've seen this in World Cups before where teams go cold. Teams have an injury. And, that you know, Becky Sauerbrunn was out, but I thought Naomi Germa was one of the best players in the tournament in replacing her. Julie Ertz was very good in the back. The defensive side of this team was very good. There's going to be changes going forward. We know Megan Rapinoe's time with the national team is done. It sounded like Julie Ertz's time with the national mm-hmm. team is That one done. hurts, honestly. Yeah. I feel so yeah. sad for Julie Ertz because I feel like she played out of position. And you're right, she was brilliant. But for her last World Cup, her first time putting on, last time putting on that jersey to have to be being the team player she is and playing wherever she's put, it's kind of sad because I feel like she couldn't demonstrate quite what she can do in the way that she was playing out of position. If there's any criticism that I have of Vlatko Andonovsky, and I feel like the general criticism of him has been over the top when you look at this team didn't score enough goals and it wasn't from a lack of chances. So the idea that the lineup was horribly wrong or substitutions were horribly wrong, they had the opportunities to win games and they just did not. I do think it's probably time up for him just because it's two tournaments and Mm -hmm. two not good finishes at all. Um, And if I have any criticism, it's that Julie Ertz didn't play in the midfield in this tournament. I I wonder what that would have looked like for the team if it would have maybe sparked anything going forward. Yeah, and I think that the fact that Alana Cook didn't feature is just a huge, huge underwhelming moment because I think you had two players in Germer and Cook that could have played well as centre-backs together and Ertz would have been the connecting piece I think we talked about her calming presence we talked about Mm -hmm. her discipline we talked about her being good on the attacking side of the ball as well and I feel like we didn't get to unleash her full potential and she could have been a a changer but you know you can't have those what-ifs at the end of the day we should have been able to as the American national team finish those chances and you're right the biggest word that we keep going back to is clinical and the U.S. just weren't clinical enough. Yeah, I I wonder if she's in the midfield, if it frees Lindsay Horan up to get forward a little bit more. We saw Andy Sullivan in a more advanced role in this past match. I thought Emily Sonnet was actually great. That was not a possibility that we considered in terms of lineup replacements for Rose Lavelle. Emily Sonnet from Marietta was outstanding in this match. Yeah, and she showed, hey, maybe I should have had more minutes in it too. And that's one of the things. We didn't utilize games and I think the Vietnam game would have been a great game to utilize and see other players and when you didn't see other players in that match you always wondered when players were going to get a moment to show what they could do 
Yeah, and with this tournament being much more difficult than it's ever been, you never got that opportunity because the Netherlands game was a toss-up the whole way coming in. It was a great even match between a team now and the Dutch that could go on and win this tournament. And Portugal, we know what happened against Portugal. We, we've talked about that one a ton. That was a very even game against a very good opponent. Lots of changes coming for the U.S. Uh, they will be analyzing the entire tournament, making their decisions on, on where they go from here. But I think they will be looking for a new manager when all is said and done. England, move on. Who are you going to face as a Lionesses fan? Is it going to be Colombia or is it going to be Jamaica? And you might need to be careful about your prediction. Oh, my goodness. It's so hard because they're both amazing and organized. And I, Jamaica has, is the only team left that hasn't conceded a goal in the entire tournament. I think Jamaica can do it again. I really do. Wow. Particularly based on the way that Colombia, unfortunately, weren't able to break down Morocco. It, it depends on which Colombian side shows up. Are they feeling sorry for themselves after Morocco and, and unable to get up for it or do they kind of unleash kind of like what we saw the span the spaniards unleash do they unleash on jamaica and jamaica concede a goal and then the floodgates open i would rather play oh i don't even know that's the mm -hmm. thing jason it's so i don't think i'd want to play either of them can i just forfeit no you got to play one of them let's take uh let's take colombia just to cause a riot in my household yeah yeah i was about to say you better pick colombia to advance there and then that riot will be happening in your household good luck with all of that i'm sure we'll be talking after all that is done and breaking everything down on a future ast breakdown jess thanks for the time tonight thanks so much have a good one we'll be back with more ast the 343 coming up right after this on 92.9 the game and the odyssey app it's time to wrap up tonight's show with the 343. Three, four, three. Three local stories, four headlines from around the world, and three things that made you smile about the game. Atlanta Soccer Tonight is on Sports Radio 92.9, the game. Welcome back, Atlanta Soccer Tonight, live on 92.9, the game, and the Odyssey app. It's the 343. I'm Jason Longshore. If you've listened to this show by now, you know what to expect in this segment. You get three local stories, you get four headlines, you get three things that make us smile, or at least makes me smile, about this game that I love so much. Let's start on the local side, and let's start on the youth side. Alessandro Esposti of the Georgia Impact Youth Club. He was invited to take part in a six-day residential training camp for goalkeepers in Bergamo, Italy. Really cool to see everything going on with Impact. I talked to you guys over the summer about their WPSL team up in Canton. They are starting a UPSL team this fall season. There's a lot of cool things happening on the youth side. It's still a little hard to follow around the state because you have all these different acronyms of leagues, and it feels like there's about six or seven different national championship routes and all these different leagues and organizations and, and all that. I, I don't like that part of it, but I do like to see that there are more opportunities for young players. Cool to see Esposti at this goalkeeper residential training camp in Italy. Um, I was at the FC Ingolstadt player identification event with UFA last week. Very cool to see the talent on display there, not just from UFA, but from other clubs in the area as well. Lots of opportunities for young players on the boys' and the girls' side in the state of Georgia right now. Number two on the local side, we'll head south a little bit to Statesboro, 
Pablo Hara. He made his 100th appearance for South Georgia Tormenta last week. The Chilean goalkeeper, he's been with the club from day one, actually before day one. Played on their amateur team in 2018 in USL League 2 before the professional team launched the following year. He helped them win their first league title last season, and he is the first in South Georgia Tormenta club history to reach the century mark. Number three on the local side, Atlanta United 2. Back in action on Wednesday in Kennesaw. Yes, in Kennesaw at Fifth Third Bank Stadium. A couple games were moved because of an unplayable pitch. It's playable now, so looking forward to seeing Atlanta United 2 and Crown Legacy. little action at the Fraction on Wednesday at 7.30. To get caught up, go to Off the Woodwork, either on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. If you listen to this show on demand, you already know. The latest edition of The B-Sides, a, a podcast series that I do Digging into the academy, digging into the second team for Atlanta United. That was posted earlier today. I caught up with Aiden Torres, a 15-year-old future homegrown who has been starting a lot as of late. Sean Lanza, the academy fullback, who has also been starting a lot as of late. Caught up with Steve Cook, and I always love picking his brain. Such a, a thoughtful manager and goes deeper than just X's and O's in terms of preparation of his squad and, and analyzing his squad. And also caught up with Jackson Conway. And, and Jackson's another player that I always love to, to pick his brain on things. I think he is such an intelligent guy. And a guy who's had a difficult year. He was on loan to Phoenix Rising, and he didn't get the playing time that he thought he was going to get when he arrived. And, and it was difficult for him. And he's made the most of it coming back to Atlanta United too, scoring goals, creating own goals, at least in the last, last game. It did take a deflection off the post and off the goalkeeper, so he can't get credit for the goal. But Jackson Conway, a really good interview with him. Go check out B-Sides on Off the Woodwork for all the latest. Also, Chris Gloucester, he debuted his last time out in Chicago, and he played really good off the bench, so hoping to see more from him. Also on the Atlanta United front, and specifically with Atlanta United 2, Aiden McFadden, who's played a lot for the twos this year, loaned to Memphis 901 for the rest of the season opportunity for him to be a reinforcement for our old friend Stephen Glass as Memphis making a playoff push in the USL championship. All right, quickly, four headlines from around the world. Let's start with U.S. men's national team players potentially on the move. Uh, one, looks like it's about to happen. Matt Turner on the verge of a move from Arsenal to Nottingham Forest. Around $9 million in a transfer fee could rise up to $12.8 million with add-ons, according to ESPN's James Ollie. Uh, one source with direct knowledge of the deal said that Turner was undergoing a medical on Monday. He went to Arsenal for $7.35 million last year, wasn't able to beat out Aaron Ramsdale. Not a huge shock that that didn't happen. Ramsdale was seen as the number one all along. Played seven appearances uh, across FA Cup and Europa League, Matt Turner. Not a bad deal for Arsenal if they only have to play him seven times and his value goes up uh, a good bit if the add-ons uh, kick in for them. And it'd be good for Turner to get more playing time at Nottingham Forest. Now he's going to see a lot more shots than he would at Arsenal, but he will get tested a lot at Forest. On the other side of potential moves, this one maybe not as close to being done. Faller and Balogun, Arsenal have rejected an opening offer from Monaco. Uh, Balogun has been linked to Inter as well. Um, 
we will see where this could go. Uh, $64 million is the valuation that Arsenal has put on Balogun. They're open to letting him leave, but not just at any price. I don't know if Inter or Monaco will go that high. And I wonder if Arsenal will... I think they will settle for less than that, but how much less is the question. Speaking of transfer stuff, let's move to number two on the headline side. PSG in shambles right now, at least allegedly. Uh, Kylian Mbappe's standoff with PSG continues. It remains unclear if he will even be in the squad when the league season starts on Saturday for PSG. Now Neymar's future looks to be in doubt. L'Equipe, the leading sports daily in France, reported on Monday that Neymar told the club he wants to leave this summer. PSG would not comment on the situation when contacted by the Associated Press. But out of Brazil, and these rumors take them with a grain of salt, Neymar's father denied that Neymar told the club that he wanted to go now. <sighs> we'll just wait and see as the world turns in Paris in the silly season. Number three, let's get caught up on League's Cup. Uh <laughs> the first thing you got to get caught up on is the Lionel Messi show. Scored a pair of vintage goals to lead Miami in a crazy comeback against FC Dallas. Messi scored the first. He scored the last. It finished 4-4 in regulation. Messi had a long-range free kick late in regulation that I thought he was going to convert. He put it off the top of the wall. Um, he scored in the shootout. Miami ends up beating Dallas in the shootout. Dallas had a lot of opportunities to put this game away, and they failed to do so. It's hard to criticize the attack when they score four goals, but Jesus Ferreira probably had nightmares about some of the opportunities that he could not convert. Other games in League's Cup, Philadelphia and Red Bulls, it was supposed to be played tonight, got postponed until tomorrow due to thunderstorms in the area. New England and Querétaro. New England got a late equalizer in the second half, but Los Gallos Blancos, they advance on penalties 4-3. The Revs failed to convert on their last two attempts, and they go out of the tournament. Houston in the 49th minute right now as we speak at home. They are 1-0 up on Charlotte. Corey Baird scored early in the first half. The winner of that one will play Miami on Friday night. Tomorrow's games, I mentioned Red Bulls in Philly. Also, Nashville and Club America. Can't wait to see that one. Minnesota, Toluca, LAFC, and RSL. And reportedly, no Carlos Vela there for LAFC. And a Classico Regio matchup between Monterrey and Tigres. That's going to be played in Houston. Number four on the headlines. And this one also does make me smile, so we could change the shape up a little bit tonight. The unlikely path of K.I. Klaxvik from the Faroe Islands. They're trying to get to the Champions League group stage. Now, they're going to play in European competition. That is the first time a club from the Faroe Islands will participate in the group stage proper in one of the three. Champions League, unlikely. Europa League, less likely. The Conference League, the most likely. If you don't know the Faroe Islands, it, it is a territory or something of Denmark, about 50,000 total population. And they know that their pathway will go through either, or probably Galatasaray uh, of Turkey. Galatasaray is favored in their playoff round. The playoffs were drawn on Monday. 
Klaxvik, uh, they play Molde of Norway in the first leg of the third qualifying round. That will be on either August 22nd or 23rd. Um, sorry, that's the next round against Galatasaray or Slovenia's Olympia. So late in August, we will know if the Faroe Islands has a team that actually makes the Champions League. I'm looking at Conference League, but I'll still be pulling for Klaxvik for sure. All right, three things that make me smile about the game, or three more things that make me smile about the game. Uh, number one, just the ridiculousness of the League's Cup. It has been a lot of fun. And look, I, I know I wanted to see more of these games in Atlanta. I, I was bragging on the League's Cup uh, the whole way from when this tournament was announced. I love the concept. It's played out better than I expected. That game last night, watching it as a neutral between Miami and Dallas, just a blast. It was crazy. It was wide open. Uh, defending was optional at large portions of it. Um, you've had raccoons that have fallen through the roof of a press box in Utah at RSL. That happened in this tournament. You've had a 19-round penalty shootout. That happened in Vancouver in this tournament. You've had a lot of drama. You've had a lot of great goals. I think you've had a lot of intensity in these matches. It's lived up to expectations. And if Miami keeps making a run, and, and look, you can get burned out on Messi Mania all you want. Miami keeps making a run. It will be a fascinating story. If you get a big Miami Club America or Tigres or Monterey match or LAFC match, the headlines it's gonna be a lot of fun. A lot of people are watching this too, and you know, if you're watching Sports Center, you might miss that. But it has been a lot of fun. Number two, Pitti Martinez. He's on the verge of returning to River Plate. He is recuperating from an ACL tear in his left knee. Came back from an ACL tear in his right knee a couple years ago. Look, you know how much he loves River. It's with the sight of the greatest moments in his career, winning South American Player of the Year in 2018. He won the Copa Libertadores there. He's a legend there. I'd love to see him get back to whatever his best can be right now after those ACL tears at a club that he obviously loves very much. And the last one for me, the Women's World Cup and just the growth of the lesser teams in the tournament. And that's highlighted by Colombia and Jamaica playing tomorrow. I don't know who I'm rooting for. I'm rooting for both of them because I've enjoyed watching both. If you don't enjoy Bunny Shaw and Linda Caicedo, oh, please give them another chance. That should be a really fun game in the morning. Thanks so much for hanging out with me tonight. Stoppage time will be back on Wednesday, 2 o'clock on the 92.9 The Game Facebook page. Myself and Mike Conti. More Leagues Cup, more Women's World Cup, more Atlanta United talk. Join us then, and I'll be back next Monday night, 10 p.m., for another Atlanta Soccer Tonight. Thanks for hanging out with me this evening. Adios, everybody. Hey, everyone. Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us, and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 